here's what I'm going to do today. Sometimes I prep you when I speak, when that's kind of quirky and out of the ordinary, but you, with me, you're kind of used to that by now. I'm going to tell you a few Bible stories, and at the end, I'm going to apply it. And for, I don't know how many, maybe one, two, five, eight, I don't know how many. When I apply it, God is going to confirm something so specific in you, you're going to know it's a word from God. And then for the rest of the church, just going to give direction to where we're heading as a church and what we need to do. Okay? So that's how we're going to do. The location is Mount Carmel. The time was early morning. The matchup was 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah versus the prophet of God, Elijah. Then we have who knows how many came to be in the crowd to see the show and the showdown, these onlookers. Elijah, the man of God, jumps up into this crowd, and he finally just says to everybody, look, how long are y'all going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord's he's God, follow him. If Baal's God, by all means, follow him. Not a sound in the crowd. Everybody was still. Not a movement. Complete silence. Elijah continued, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has these 450 prophets. Here's what we should do. Bring two bulls, any two bulls you want. The prophets of Baal can pick the one they want, and I'll take the other one. Cut it up, place it on the wood of the altar, but don't set any fire to anything. The bull that's left, I'll take it, and I'll cut it up, lay it on the wood, lay it on the altar, but again, I will set no fire to it. Then the prophets of Baal will call on their God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire and sets that wood and that sacrifice on fire is the true God. Sound fair? Yeah, they agreed to that. They liked that. And so the matchup began. And Elijah told the prophets of Baal, there's a lot of you, so pick first. You all go first. Pick the bull, cut it up, place on the altar, but no fire. Don't set anything on fire. The prophets of Baal did that and started calling out to their God, to the name of their God, O Baal, answer us from morning until noon, hours of this, nothing, no reply, no answer, not a smoke signal, not a spark, nothing. The prophets danced and jumped around and screamed for Baal to answer, nothing. About noontime, Elijah kicked back in his lawn chair, says, starts taunting them. He was my kind of guy. Y'all mean need to shout louder. He's a god, isn't he? Maybe he's daydreaming, you got to get his attention. Or maybe he's working on another project and you're going to have to wait till he's done and he's, he's, uh, the busy signal's clear. Or does he take vacations? Maybe he's tired, worn out, he's on vacation. You don't think he overslept. Does your God sleep? You don't think he overslept, do you? Maybe you need to scream louder to wake him up. And these prophets of Baal went crazy. As was their custom, they screamed louder, but they started cutting themselves with knives and swords. And so you have these 450 prophets of Baal screaming and jumping up and down the altar and ranting and chanting and blood being slung everywhere. And they did this all afternoon until the evening. This nonsense continued for literally hours. It was now evening, no sound, no smoke. No spark, no response from their God. Elijah gets up, all right, it's enough. Come close, everyone. Elijah prepared the altar that they had jumped on and messed all up. 
Then he had a trench dug around the little altar. He told some of the people, go get four buckets of water, dump it over the, go dump it over the, um, the sacrifice, over the wood, over the, over the rocks, and they did. Four big buckets. Do it again, Elijah said. Got four more buckets dumped it over. Do it again, Elijah says. Four more buckets. Twelve big buckets insomuch that everything was saturated. The sacrifice was wet. The wood was wet. The rocks were wet. The trench had water full standing in it. I'm not much of an outdoorsman or one to go camping and start campfires, but I have been around it enough, and I went to school for a little while to know that you don't want water when you're trying to start a fire. Water puts out fire. If I were Elijah, I would want the driest wood you could possibly find. The man purposefully had it drenched with water. Water was everywhere. I don't care what type of fire starter you had. It wasn't going to help in this scenario. This stuff was not going to burn. Elijah the prophet walked to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God of Israel and that I'm your servant. Prove that I've done all this at your command, O Lord. Answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Fire immediately flashed from heaven and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up all the water in the trench. I think that's some kind of consuming fire. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on their face, and they said, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord, he is God. All those people turned to God because Elijah took a step of faith. Elijah followed the plan and will of God. There was great victory because of one man obeyed the Lord. What an exciting account and wonderful Bible account this was. Think of this, 850 prophets, the king was there. How many thousands maybe were there as onlookers to watch the big showdown? I think in my mind, again, I would have made sure everything was dry and prepped and just right. Yeah, that's me trying to help God out again. But Elijah knew something. Either God does this or it ain't happening. So in that circumstance, it didn't matter what odds were against him. It was God or nothing. And God can do anything. I imagine Elijah simply trying to prove a strong point to everyone watching, saying, I can't do this, and I'm going to show you because wet wood doesn't burn, and I can't trick you by somehow doing a little magician thing here or have some fire up my sleeve. It's God or nothing, and God came through. What faith Elijah had. Bring it on. Make it as hard as you possibly can because God is a big enough God. He can deal with every situation. He can burn water if he wants to. He can make a bush be on fire and the bush not get burned. He can join three men in a fire and have the ropes burn off of them and not even a hair on them sends no smell of smoke even on them. The natural laws are in his control and they obey him. He can use them how he wants. He can manipulate them when he wants and he can suspend them anytime he wants. He is God, the creator. All things are subject to him. Genesis 1, 6, and 7, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide 
the waters from the waters. God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, firmament, and it was so. The very first time of the five recorded times in the Word of God where God divided the waters, he did it by speaking. And God said, let it divide, and it divided. The next time water was divided, the children of Israel were leaving Egyptian bondage. They had traveled to the edge of the Red Sea, Pharaoh, and the Egyptian army started out after them, and these people were trapped, scared to death, had no idea, Exodus, what to do. Exodus 14, verse 10 says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, they could see the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified, sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Then this group started talking to Moses, well, more yelling at Moses, possibly out of fear, out of confusion, out of dread, the unknown. Moses, weren't there graves in Egypt? We could have just died there. Why in the world did you bring us out in this dreaded wilderness to die? Why did you tell us, come on out of Egypt, follow me? Moses, didn't we tell you back in Egypt, just leave us alone? We'll serve the Egyptians. Now, look, it would have been better for us to have stayed there because now the Egyptians are after us and we're going to die in this dreaded wilderness. Moses tells the people, don't fear. Just stand still a minute. God is about to do something marvelous today. He's going to wipe out your enemy so you're never bothered by them again. The Lord is going to fight for you, so just be quiet. This were my mom, she would say, just shut up. And that's what Moses wanted them to do. The Lord told Moses to stretch out his staff, hold it over the sea. The waters will divide. The children of Israel will walk through on dry ground through the divided waters. Then the Egyptians are going to try it, and it's not going to work out so well for them. So Moses got there right at the edge, lifted up his staff, and whoo, a strong east wind blew, and the waters were divided, and the seabed was dry. The children of Israel walked through on that dry ground with a wall of water on their left and a wall of water on their right. Right, water does not stand up like that. But our God can do anything, and he can suspend the laws of nature anytime and anywhere he chooses. Let me skip the third time the waters were parted. We'll end on that one, and let's jump ahead to the fourth and fifth time that the waters were parted. The accounts found in 2 Kings 2, which Elijah was walking along with his protege, Elisha, was right with him. And they came to the Jordan River, 2 Kings 2, 8, and Elijah took his mantle wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither. So the two of them just da, 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 on dry ground. Not millions of people, just two. They got to the other side of the Jordan and were walking and talking, and here comes this chariot, this roar out of heaven, and here comes this chariot and comes down and swoops up Elijah, and Elisha's standing there. After everything had calmed down, Elijah caught up to heaven in a whirlwind. I can only imagine Elisha scratching his head, rubbing his eyes, trying to figure out what in the world just happened, trying to comprehend all this and take it all in. He saw a mantle that Elijah had dropped, 2 Kings 2, 14, and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and Elisha smote the waters and said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. 
the waters parted just for him that time. The Lord spoke to the waters, and they parted. I like that. Moses lifted up his staff, and the Lord parted the waters. I like that. Elijah stood at the edge and took his mantle. Smack. God parted the waters. I like that. Elisha, coming back, found the mantle, stood back, smacks, parted the waters. God parted the waters. I like that. I want to go back to the third time recorded in Scripture where God parted the waters. In Joshua chapter 3, it was going to be great. The children of Israel were finally going to cross over Jordan into the land they were promised so long ago. In the past, some would not walk by faith. They murmured. They complained. So they came out. We watched them. We talked about them coming across the Red Sea. And that's when they were supposed to keep marching right into their promised land. But for 40 years, they had to pass around and just travel around in this wilderness because of unbelief. And an entire generation passed off the scene. But now they're ready. It was a new day. It was a new leader. It was a new time. Everybody get ready. It's going to be wonderful. Early the next morning, Joshua got a hold of everybody, and all the Israelites left the Acacia Wood where they were camping, the Acacia Grove, and they arrived at the banks of the Jordan there, and they set up camp right there. They could see the Jordan, and they could see their promised land. Three days after they got there, they camped for three days. The Israelite officers went through the camp giving instructions. When you see the priest carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow that ark and those priests. Since you've never traveled this way before, oh, you've traveled before, we've traveled for 40 years. You've walked before, we've walked a lot. We broke camp, we've done that several times, but this is a new thing. And the ark and the priests will guide you. So stay about a half a mile back, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't get any closer so everybody can see exactly where that ark is and follow it for themselves. Everybody will be able to see it. Then Joshua told the people, everybody listen up, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. That next morning, Joshua said to the priest, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. <laughs> Water again. So the priest started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the river Jordan, Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. What did you say? Carry the Ark, go to the bank of the Jordan, and then just keep walking out into the river and stop there. Then stop. Stop in the water. We're not trying to get two of us across. We're trying to get thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people across with all of this stuff. Yeah, just pick up the ark, walk out into the river, and stop there. Only imagine one of the wise priests saying, you know, we've traveled and we've, we've wandered for 40 years. What's another night? Let's ask God and see if he won't part this during the night, and then we'll get up and walk on dry ground. Or why don't you, Joshua, do what Moses, we've heard Moses did. He just raised that little walking stick, and why don't you do that here? 
Listen to what Joshua told the Israelites. Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you'll know what the living God is, is, that the living God is among you. He's going to drive out the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Ammonites, the Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be caught off upstream, and the flow, river will keep flowing down into the Dead Sea. Again, my mind, forgive me for. But that's, he told the priests, grab the ark and get walking. He told the children of Israel, when their feet touched the water, then it would part. That, I think, would have been pertinent information for the, for the priests to know. And maybe they did, I don't know. But Joshua told the children of Israel that the priests were going to lead them and the waters were going to split apart when they got to the water. He told the priests, walk out into the river and stop there. He didn't really say that I see anything to the priests about the water was going to part. Just keep walking. I'm just saying now would be a good time for the voice of the Lord just to part those waters. Now would be a good time to just lift up your staff and to part those waters. Or now would be a good time to take a handkerchief or a mantle and hit the waters and part the waters. No, this time, walk out into your obstacle. Walk out into and towards the water. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. And don't forget this nice little piece of information. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Water was everywhere. The Bible tells us in Joshua 3.15, And as they that bear the ark were come into Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. When their feet hit the correct location that God had ordained, the water above stood up and stopped, and the rest of it flowed, and dry ground appeared in that, just like it happened in the Dead Sea. It happened in this river. Can you even imagine these type of miracles? But can you imagine the step of faith? The Bible says it was harvest season. The Jordan was overflowing its banks. And it says, as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the brim of the water. Let me think with you for a minute again. I don't want to be redundant, but does that mean where the river normally is, the bank of the river? Or does that mean where the, where the water is currently because it's at flood stage? If so, these priests were carrying this box, slopping in water and muck and mire and not being able to see where they were going. It wouldn't have been easy to carry the ark and walk on that type of terrain. But they kept walking by faith. I don't know where the brim of the water was and what exactly Scripture meant by that. Wherever... And however this happened, 
When those priests who were carrying the representation of the power of God, walking by faith, walking into a miracle, walking into victory, when their feet hit the brim of the water, whether that was the edge of the literal river or whether that was where the water started at flood stage, it really doesn't matter. But when that happened, things started transpiring. Water started standing on end. Water started flowing into the Dead Sea. Dry ground started appearing, and everybody got safely to the other side. I know I've probably taken some liberty in this, and I thank you for your attention but my point in this third account of water parting was that the water was not parted before they were walking. It did not part while they were walking. They were getting closer and closer to the water. And everything looked just like it had the whole time. Now, whether these priests were actually walking in the water and all the way to the normal riverbank or whether they were walking to the very edge of the water where it was at flood stage, I don't know. Again, my point simply is that the miracle did not happen until they hoisted that ark on their shoulders and they started walking towards their obstacle. God is not intimidated by how hard something is. How difficult we make the situation has no bearing on whether God can perform a miracle or not. Elijah could have built the altar in the bottom of the sea and God still could have answered by fire in the bottom of the sea. The Lord spoke to me and directed me towards this idea of these accounts of the water being parted. and That they all were parted and they all were parted differently, not in the same manner. Your miracle, your destiny, what you have need of may be on the other side of the water, the other side of the obstacle. God can speak to the water and tell it to move. God can tell you to lift up your hand in faith and he can cause the east wind to blow and the water can move. You can even get a little more adamant and aggressive and strike that water and God will part the obstacle for you. I don't know. You can apply these any way you want. But the whole sermon is coming to this third point of water parting. The circumstances you face may be out of control, out of its banks, flowing and flooding everywhere, complete and utter chaos. Now would be a good time, God, just to say move. Now would be a good time to lift the rod and it move. Now would be a great time to hit him and it moves. But this isn't how it's going to happen this time. You're going to have to get a hold of the power of God and keep on walking towards the obstacle. Whether it looks like it's moving or not. The musicians are coming. This third account of water parting found in Joshua chapter 3. It's only 17 verses of that chapter. 
There are 14 references to the Ark of the Covenant in that short little chapter. Here's what I'm telling individuals this morning. And here's what I'm telling this church at large. Grab a hold of the power of God. Lift it on high and start marching towards anything that is in your way. It hasn't moved yet. Keep marching. We're getting close to the water. Keep marching. It looks like we're about to get wet and stuck in the mud. Keep marching. People are looking and wondering. Keep marching. Families whispering and not really backing me. Keep marching. There's chaos everywhere. Keep marching. This isn't how we did it last time. Keep marching. Because as impossible as drenched wood and rock and dust and sacrifice and water being burned up, God is about to do the impossible here too. And as we stand, you, I don't, don't miss this part. And there are thousands and thousands of people standing a half mile back waiting to see what you are going to do you got to keep marching this city is waiting for a church to grab a hold of the power and keep marching waters everywhere turmoil is everywhere Chaos is everywhere. Impossible is all that I see. I have come with a word for you and this church. It doesn't matter if there is water everywhere. Grab a hold of the power and keep marching. Victory is going to come. Not just for you, but for thousands of people who are waiting to see what you're going to do. Keep marching. Don't worry what it looks like. Keep marching. Don't worry the obstacle. Keep marching. Don't worry about the people standing there just talking. Keep marching. Grab a hold of God. There's our water everywhere. But somebody get a hold of this and just keep marching.